0: Welcome back to the Deal Makers podcast show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising, and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker show. So today we have a really exciting founder. I mean, he's done it so many times that I get dizzy, you know, with uh, how many companies he's done, but. Uh, we're going to find this one, you know, quite inspiring. We're going to be talking about culture. We're going to be talking about consistency, also about fundraising and why it's its own art. There's not nothing there that really teaches you, I guess, you know, until we listen to this episode, you know, to what our guest is going to tell us about it. And then also about force majeure. But again, you know, building, scaling, financing, and all of the above that we like to hear. So we, without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Elon Edstein. Welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Alejandro. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Originally born in Israel, a startup nation. Give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there?
1: It's uh, it's really nice. The food is really fresh and you need to go to the army. But uh, besides that, it's really nice. Sometimes the neighbors don't do- like us too much, but it's it's OK.
0: So what happened with you in high school? <laughs>
1: Uh I don't know I I was preferring to build a website and play soccer instead of uh going to school I don't know the the teachers uh, were teaching unnecessary stuff uh, at least for me
0: So then you you ended up not finishing high school
1: Yeah in, in in Israel they do like uh 12 years and I did 10 uh and the last two years, it was more me in the sea, me DJing, me doing projects and websites and uh, less going to school. And my mother was really not happy about it, by the way. <laughs> it,
0: it sounds like fun. It sounds like fun. Now, now in your case, you ended up going to the uh-huh. army and, um, you know, the army obviously is mandatory there in Israel. And there you were in the infantry uh, unit. So I'm sure that this brought a little bit of discipline because from being in the You know, at the beach, you know, DJing to then all of a sudden, you know, having to follow orders and instructions. I'm sure that was quite uh, humbling for you.
1: Yeah, I I think I was always looking for some structure in my life, um, some discipline. I grew up without a father. My parents were divorced when I was like two years old. My mother was a a very successful CMO. So I think the army was for me like, um, you know, a hand in a glove in a way. Um, and in the army, you, you discover a lot of things about yourself, basically, you know, um, uh, uh, you have your teammates, you have uh, your commanders and it's like, but it's, it from one hand, give you a very structured, uh, formation, but on the other hand, you have a lot of time where you need to execute by yourself in a way. Uh, depending where you go. And I think for me, it was really good. I mean, I really enjoyed the Army. I even went to officer course, and uh, it was really good for me. I really enjoyed that time in my life. I, I still claim it was one of my the best periods in my life.
0: So what do you say, when, when you said earlier, you discover a lot about yourself. What did you discover about yourself?
1: I think up until the Army, I didn't have the recognition from, let's say, the outside world that I'm good in something. And I think something that's really been built in you, especially in commander units, is that you're special. You're unique. You're above the average. Uh, you get wings. You get this, you know, like all the the shiny things on your chest. And it's give you something also after the military where you think you feel, and you know, by the way, also, you know to handle things in a more uh, under pressure um, than most people, in a way.
0: Now, after the army, basically what you did is uh, you did a bunch of stuff, but eventually, you know, that led you to university, to the MIT, uh, there, uh equivalent in Israel and you were looking too much through the window. It sounds like uh, you were not excited, you know, too excited there, but uh, looking through the window ended up landing you with having a tough conversation with your mother. Well, what, well, what happened there?
1: <laughs> Told you too much before the interview. Uh, <laughs> I think it's something that symbols a lot of entrepreneurs. We have obsession, and we are only good or sometimes even very good only in things that really interest us. And I think for me, the army was very interested. Um, school was not. And when I went to the Technion, which is kind of a, like the same, like m in the US, uh, in Israel, um, it was really boring. I mean, they teach you physics. They teach you all kind of things. And in the night I was coding and parties and I'm, I was uh, like, um, you know... Um, um, like being a party organizer, like I uh, was the biggest party organizer in my hometown. I, I think it's something really a, a skill that entrepreneur really have. It's about, if it interests us, we will go all in. If it's not, we will be, you know, it, it's 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 not for us.
0: So then in your case, I mean, this was the um the segment that really brought you into the venture world. So tell us about, you know, getting to startups? You know, how did that happen?
1: In a way, it's happened by mistake, um, to be completely (laughs) honest. I think it's just the course of my life led me towards there. I really wanted to build things. The tool that I had was coding and designing. And, you know, probably in the the old days, um, you know, that was the people that, I don't know, like... um, Harvesting and things like this, but in the modern age we are, it's about building projects like websites and apps and things like this. And that's how uh, that's how I was uh, able to to bring myself into into basically creating things um, through coding and building apps. And I started like um, this uh, this small agency, and this agency was. You know, like um, Facebook just started with their FBML. It was like, you know, you could build apps inside Facebook. And it was a big trend to make it for businesses. And the business went uh, quite well uh, for uh, a young, uh, you know, a young grown-up trying to, you know, to find his way. And after a while, I had this partner and and then we, we split it and... Um, I got. I, st- I, st- I started to get some offers, and at the end, I find myself going into this larger company, a big operation from Israel, and starting to do uh, to to be working with them uh, as a CTO in some in one of their um, sub companies. So it was, it was basically based on instinct and kind of a mistake, and based on the skills that led me help help me to create things, and at the end, I find myself there.
0: Now with this first company that you did that was puzzle interactive oh. you know basically as as you as you were saying you know you you got really involved with the social networks with Facebook you know and doing stuff for it and in the end you know ended up being bought by a larger corporation so I guess the um the question that comes to mind there is what kind of visibility did that give you into the full uh life cycle of a company you know where you were able to do it from the idea all the way up to the finish line where, you know, you finally, you know, hand the reins to a larger player. I mean, what, what kind of visibility did that give you?
1: Back then, I, I, I started to understand the power of creation. I mean, once you work hard, you create something, at the end, it will have kind of a value, in, uh, like value or like a currency into it. And and then that's basically it. And and then you you know you started your the next journey and you learn a lot of new things, right? So it's like yeah.
0: Now for you the next thing the next new thing was MK Digital. That was your okay. your next company. Uh, so what were you guys doing there? How do you line there? I mean, you were the CTO there.
1: Yeah. So that was a, like a very large industrial um, group here in Israel. Um, and I was like the youngest by 20 years from anyone in, in the floor. Um, and it was a great experience because I saw like real business people, not tech people doing business, negotiating, it was a great school for me.
0: So at what point with MK Digital do you decide it's time to turn page? Because I mean, in this case. You know, your company, too. I mean, you were a co-founder there and you were there for almost three years. So at what point does it, you know, come to you the thought that, hey, maybe it's time to turn page here?
1: So I think after three years, I wanted to do something more global because back then we were like kind of an incubator for doing mini startups for the group portfolio uh, meaning like a large uh, brand from Israel can come and we can fit to him with a startup or a project. Um, and I wanted to do something global. And I came to my partners over there and they didn't want to do anything outside of Israel uh, or something global. Uh, they wanted to continue in, um, you know, bringing the the group businesses and enriching those. Um and then that's the that's the dates that I decided that I'm I'm stepping aside and I'm like leaving the company. Um and uh yeah and and I left.
0: And you left and you started another one. So uh innovation. Innovation actually one of uh one of the most uh, one of them, you know, a uh, pivotal moments that you've had in your career. No, I mean a really successful company, a company that you actually were there, you know, for quite a bit, you know, close to seven years. So, how did the idea of innovation come to come to fruition? You know, and how did the uh, that the band come together as the founding team to really execute on
1: this? I think it was around two thousand fifteen, and deep learning and GPU outside of gaming just started, and. I understood it's, it's going to be like the next thing. It was very clear that, you know, once you go outside the world of CPU into GPU, you have like <laughs> multiply more uh, of, of computation uh, power. And and yeah, and, and then it's like, you know, I scouted the, the, the vertical in industries it's going to be affecting. And I discovered that uh facial recognition uh going to be a very, very big part of it. Um it's even before face ID and all those facial recognition applications started in all those devices, right? It was like um and we start uh, and, and then we I started the project. So
0: then what was the uh, what ended up being the business model? How were you guys making money with any vision?
1: So the first two years, we're not making money. Uh, We're not even getting salaries. It was really hard times. Um, Not a joke, but I was like um, eating food uh, worse than I was eating in the army. Um, I think one day, one of my friends came to my apartment and he went to the second floor and he told me it looks like a landmine because there's only like pizza and like things on the the floor. It was looking horrible. And I was looking like, uh, like, like someone like um you know with a very big beard and like um yeah it 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 was a very very dark period in my life um and a lot of terrible moments where you think it's all done and this company not going to be what it's going to be but to your point about consistent um I've been very consistent and persistent and I keep on believing and I keep on selling and i keep on developing and in the end we managed to get like some seed funding and later on major seed funding and then the rest become becoming history
0: hey guys so pardon the interruption here so i gotta tell you that you know for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired You don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. And and how are you guys making money with vision for the people that are listening to get it?
1: Uh, making money, not raising money.
0: Well, uh, so it's both both things. So you gotta you gotta make it to then raise it, and then obviously you gotta do something of value to extract value. So in this case, what are you guys doing of value to extract it? How are you guys doing that?
1: So, um, we, it's exploration, right? So. Go to market pricing product, it's its a lot of instinct, but also a very large portion of try and error and exploration. So we started with this and the company uh, that the period in time that I'm now speaking about, we were like already 35 employees. And we go into the market and we start selling it and we're charging like 7,000 US dollars per license, which is per camera. And the market was not well receptive for that. And then you start to have like a pushback from the market about what the price should be, right? Uh, because everybody wants to make like from the first deal like a million dollar, but it doesn't work like this. And then you get pushbacks and you start to understand the pricing should be around 2000 2500 something like that. And you should bundle it and you should do all those things. And, <clears throat> and then you start to be structured about your price and then you understand what your price should be. And also, what the verticals you need to be selling your product in? Because in the beginning, for example, and this is like a nice story, everybody in their dreams, because of all the James Bond movies, we all believe that facial recognition cameras are like should be in airports, right? I will tell you a small surprise: most airports doesn't have a lot of facial recognition. Um, other verticals have, um, and. And we thought that this is going to be a huge vertical for us. And again, we start trialing other verticals like retail and casino and smart city and airports and all kinds of gambling and all kinds of things like this. And then we discover a sweet spot where the verticals that we need to be selling in, what the price we need to be selling in, what they go to market, the right one. Should we go with a partner? Should we go alone? Et cetera, et cetera.
0: So, so in this case, I mean, with AnyVision, you know, the company ended up being quite successful. I mean, it has raised over three hundred and fifty million, which is uh, really remarkable. I guess one thing that uh, that I that I like to ask you here, you know, about AnyVision is, you know, tell us about the go-to-market, you know, instincts there that you guys had for really making it happen the way that you did.
1: It's funny to look at it today with all the frameworks and all the le- lecture about how to do go to market and everything. We're doing it very instinctive. We were very young. Um, I was like at 27, 28 when I started uh, Anyvision. Today I'm 36. So I was like really, I didn't know a lot, right? Not me and not the team. We're all like first timers doing it like in that scale for the first time. Uh we had some decent investors that help us in growing up faster, but still it's you need to try an error. And you know, it's it's um there's not like a magic trick for it, um to be honest. It's like all of the above in a way, if you if you get what I'm saying.
0: Now now one of the things that uh, really came up while you were at AnyVision was the idea of the next one, Site X. So, so tell us how did this happen? Because I mean, obviously, you were in AnyVision, the incredible success, rocket ship. So, why did you think you know that taking that distraction made sense at that point?
1: So it's deeper than that. actually what happened is um, around two thousand nineteen. AnyVision um, being uh, unfortunately followed by BDS, which is an organization. Uh, they tried to bio um Israeli startups, company technologies. Um, it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, people that less like Israel, let's call it. And Microsoft was one of our shareholders, uh, a major one. Um, you know, I have photos with Satya like this, hugging and like, uh, and talking about uh, go-to-market and things like this. And... This group of, of I don't know how to call them beside modern terrorists, but uh, sorry for my language. And they started to demonstrate outside of Redmond and outside of Microsoft's biggest new shop in Oxford. And they 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 put a lot of pressure on Microsoft um, that at the end, even though we didn't do anything wrong, um, to basically div- uh, do a deviation from uh, from any vision. Um, and that was like, for me, it was something really hurtful because the company had tremendous term sheets and tremendous offers from the biggest, like, uh, VCs of the world. And unfortunately, um, these bad fellas actually managed to, to hurt us and, it's, 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 it's a big shame. I mean, it's something that um, I don't think a lot of companies anticipate them to be in BioCat by, uh, you know, a group of anti-governmental, um, you know, uh, modern terrorists or how you call them. Uh, but it was for me like. I, I didn't have thought that something like this can happen in 2019, that a very ethical organization like Microsoft. Will the, the eva- uh do its deviation from startup? We invested a lot of money um, because of pressure, but uh, it's it's a lesson I learned that media have its weight, um, and you need to to also be you know. And and by the way, the, and not always the truth and what is right will will win. Unfortunately, and then we had to spin out our defense business because of this pressure, and we spin it out. And we created uh, uh We created it with the largest um, defense contractor from Israel, which is Rafael. It's state-owned. And Citix today is uh, kicking ass, doing a good job protecting the world.
0: I mean, twenty-plus million-dollar raise there, so uh, so good stuff. Now, in your case, you know, it sounds like three years is really what it takes for you to uh, to get antsy yeah, about uh, doing something. Yeah? I mean, in this in this case. Three years in, about June 2021. That's when it was the perfect time to start a company called Perfect. Why was that the case?
1: So in 2021, after all this experience in AnyVision, which was amazing roller coaster, ups and down. I saw it like in probably the highest levels of of scale. Um, obviously, I did my my. Fair amount of mistakes um, as a young entrepreneur yeah. um, but one thing I saw is when you scale organization from zero to almost five hundred employees is the the problem of recruiting your best next hire is still not solved, and the data is out there, and obviously very advanced uh, large language models and gen AI is here to to help us with that uh, to analyze and and um, bring insights. And I decided to start Perfect to solve this problem this time. Um, And that's what I've been doing for the last two years.
0: And how do you guys make money with Perfect?
1: So Perfect is something dramatically different from AnyVision. And AnyVision is a classic enterprise sales. It's a go-to market, sometimes with partner. It's like, you know, Nine, 12-month sales cycle, very high ACV, sometimes millions of dollars. Um, in perfect, it's more, you know, there's all those methods today, PLG, product-led growth, PLS, product-led sales, and et cetera, et cetera. So we decided to take a direction. Uh, we ta- we took the direction of PLS to be very trans- transactional, uh, which means that the sales cycle should be very short, around a month, a month and a half. Um, and basically, um, the ACV is, is relatively low uh, on the land deal. And um, I, I find it really interesting, this type of a go-to market. It's, uh, it's nice.
0: So then with a Perfect, you know, you guys have raised a, quite a bit of money there. Um, how much have you guys raised so far?
1: We raised $13 million.
0: And why did you decide to raise the money from the people that you did from because obviously this is not your first rodeo and now you know quite a bit on on dealing with investors. Why did you choose the investors that you did
1: i did ha- i did have my uh fair amount of uh bad investors um and it's educated me and taught me a lot and in this journey, I try to take only people that I know people that i trust um Half of the investors are investors that invested in me in the past, so um i I try at least in the seed stage to have people that I can trust and rely on
0: now, I've heard you say that fundraising you know it's an art of its own. Why is that the case
1: <laughs> Fundraising is a mix between storytelling being illusion. Like, you know, dreaming, telling the truth, and talking about the future and the presence. It's kind of a mix of everything, I think. And to get a seed round um, today in Israel, um, it's not easy. Um, I think it's re- re- generally relevant in, in also like in the US and the other territories. It's not easy because it's really hard to stand above the noise. Why you? Because when you're a first-timer, nobody knows who you are. You don't have any network. Uh, unless you came from this unique department, agency, whatever it is, it's really hard to stand above the noise and get the first the, the first check. And let's assume you get the first check. Um, then how uh, you get the second check? And it's like a, a time clock, right? It, it's, like, it's, it's, um, it's like once you get your first check, you need to do everything right to get the second check. And you don't have enough time to do mistakes. So, uh, by the way, even today, I, I don't think I do it perfectly. <laughs> perfectly. You know, we keep on, keep on learning from, from the journey of life.
0: And obviously, you know, when it comes to investors' vision, you know, like you were saying, storytelling, you know, bringing them into really getting excited and and touched, moved, and inspired about the vision that you are and the future that you're living into, you know, is is pretty important. So in that regard, imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight, Elon, and you wake up in a world where the vision of perfect is perfectly realized. What does that world look like?
1: It's a world where... AI empower us humans to focus on what us humans what we do best, which is being creative, being relationship driven, um, and all the hard uh, hard labor uh, tasks. Let's call them like the tasks that you do manual and you keep on doing them, repeatable, being done by machines. Um, so in a perfect world. Um, Sourcing is basically almost automated, which means people that you want for your company automatically will pop up. And also almost automatically, you will be reaching out to them. Um, And then it's the human factor to actually convince them and sign them. Um, But I think there's like 75% of the process can be done by machine and empower us humans to do what human does best.
0: Now, obviously, we're talking about the future here, and that future looks and sounds amazing. But let's say you had the opportunity of going back in time. Maybe I, I bring you back in time to that moment where you were still in university looking through the window and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what that world would look like, a world where maybe you would bring something to life on your own. And let's say you had the opportunity of, you know, being outside of the window and, and talking back to that younger self that is looking through the window and you're able to give your younger self one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be? And why, given what you know now?
1: There is a sentence, not, not basically nobody knows. I'm telling, I'm telling that to myself, Um, uh, beside my, my shrink. Um, but I think now I'm going to tell it in the podcast because I think, uh, it answers the question really well. Um, it's, it sounds better in Hebrew. It's like as high as you can get. And I always was saying that to myself, especially post the army, um, as high as you can get. And that's probably what I was telling this kid that was looking in the window, back in the Technion, as, is, as high as you can get, go and do it. I mean... Um, and probably I was also telling him, don't worry, it will be okay. But uh, yeah, as high as, as it can get.
0: So for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: They can just email me at Elon at goperfect.com.
0: Amazing. Easy enough. Well, hey, Elon, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you for your time.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic.